Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. In this episode, I sit down with Matthew Pilmore, who is the CEO and founder of a company called VIP Financial Education. And what they do is they're a group of coaches that help you on in your financial journey. Um, one of the things that they're very successful with helping their clients do is to reduce debt at an accelerated rate. And a lot of that just is because they bring tools to the table that most of us are simply not aware of, and they help you allocate your available resources in such a manner that you can take huge chunks out of your debt at a much faster rate than if you simply follow you know, minimum payments like we're all used to doing. So for example, you could take a 30-year fixed mortgage, and instead of paying it off over several decades, you can get it paid off in a matter of a few years which, again, just can dramatically change your financial picture, which then, of course, can then uh, amplify into a greater legacy, essentially. So uh, there's a lot of fascinating nuggets that you can learn in this conversation. It's very enlightening. So with that, let's dive into the call. Here I, I am with Matthew Pilmore. Matt Pilmore, how you doing, my man? We are rolling. I'm it's doing live. amazing, yeah. Good to, uh, good to reconnect. Yeah, really good to reconnect. Yeah, good we've been, let's see, so you and I met at Landmark, which is a personal development program, I think you said back in, what, 2011? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we had, uh, I, I think I ended up learning more from you that weekend than I did from Landmark itself, although Landmark, you know, there definitely was some key takeaways for me from there, for sure. But I liked it. Uh, it. It made a big difference in my life. There yeah. are things that I learned in that meeting while I was there with you um, that have stuck with me forever. Um, you know, really, really related to just perception on living in the moment. Um, you know, being able to, I think, uh, focus less on reflection and, um, you know, speculation on things in the future and, and really just enjoy things. And I'm not as good at being present as I'd like to be today, but I'm much better at enjoying the moment than I've ever been. Huh. So Landmark landmark, helped help with that a lot. Yeah, for sure. It definitely opened my eyes to a bunch of things too. I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways was, uh, so we did it in Denver and the, the, the audience was so eclectic. I mean, if you remember, we had, <clears throat> we had a former congressman we had mm -hmm. a young girl who was suicidal. We had a gang member. We had a porn director. We had one guy that was pretty sure he was going insane. We had a woman whose husband had just passed on, and they'd been married for, I think, close to 60 years. Like, it was just this crazy mix of people. You know, and then, of mm -hmm. course, you had the Denver crew. The, the, you had your hippies and your entrepreneurs. And it was a great, like, <laughs> eclectic mix of all these different people. But to me, the takeaway was we all had essentially the same fundamental screwed up story in our heads. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what, what your upbringing was. We all had similar, you know, limiting stories. It's, I remember that one. That's girl true. Stood up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think I know who you're going to talk about, right? She stood up and basically indicated that she was thinking about taking her own life because of what she was experiencing. Yeah. I think that's why we signed about 16 pages of waivers before walking into the room. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's really different. You know, most people that stumble into this are, are kind of taken aback initially if they spend enough time to get to that point, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So a lot of people will show up with a first impression and try and make some stereotypical judgments, but uh, most of the time they're wrong. 
I, I'm one of the founders and president of a company called VIP Financial Education. And we're very, very passionate about showing alternative ways of managing money, specifically centered around what I typically refer to as the three C's of banking and borrowing. Now, that includes your credit, that includes access to capital, and that includes management of pre-existing cash flow and those new forms of capital to grow cash flow. So it's credit capital cash flow are our specialties. And uh, we have a unique history with them, all three of those categories. And it's my very strong opinion that the only way to be optimal in your finances altogether is if you are treating those three categories very much as the foundation for everything else you do. So like a foundation, you don't have to have great credit and access to other people's money to leverage well and assets or elimination of debt to become wealthy. There, there are ways to do it without that foundation in place, just like I could build a house on top of a weak foundation and there's a chance it won't fall down. Yeah. So people don't need these things, but it really is the baseline. Um, I often refer to us as the podiatrists of your money, right? <laughs> Let's get your feet in perfect condition so that your knees and hips and back can be as strong as possible too. Um, so that's really where we concentrate. And like I said, we've been uh, doing this for a long time. Uh, it started back in 2000 and it's evolved in a very special way over that time, especially I, over the last half dozen years or so. Okay. Well, you and I have not touched base in a little bit, so I'm curious to hear a little bit more of that. But I do remember um, sitting down with you and having lunch way back when and, and just your the, the story as to why you got into this in the first place remember being fairly inspirational. Can you remember, or I mean, can you share with the audience what, how you got into this, where your passion came from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's a fairly typical road. Um, you know, I was originally invited into the mortgage industry by, uh, far more experienced gentlemen that were willing to train me and kind of get me into a position of, of, uh, realizing decent success for the first five to six years of my career. Um, that was my exposure initially to banking. That was my exposure to how credit impacted your overarching finances. And it was a competitive time. There were not licenses required at that time to be in the mortgage world in 2000. This was during uh, that big refinance boom when subprime loans became a big thing. And, uh, in order to separate ourselves from that competition, we, we started teaching classes and, VIP financial education was born alongside America's mortgage and, uh, and they became popular. I mean, there were small classes initially and they just kind of grew and grew. We teamed up with a number of folks, uh, various entities, affiliates and, and other educators. And these things grew in size to hundreds of people in attendance um, by 2005. And it was right around that time that I started to gain a little bit more exposure. My role in those educational uh uh, trainings was centered around credit. So where I wanted to single myself out as an expert and my partners was by, by going into a mentor, uh, kind of an apprenticeship mentorship relationship with some of the founders of the credit, um, industry, both personal and business. So one of the guys I studied with first was one of the original creators of what's known as the FICO credit scoring algorithm. And that is, uh, produced and supplied by fair Isaac corporation, which is uh, considered by 90% of the banks 
to be the go-to credit source for uh, banks to determine if you're a good candidate for a loan of any kind. Yeah. So uh, that really set us apart because we established this kind of specialty expertise. And and uh, and it, w- it was right around 2005 where I'm teaching a lot about credit and I'm starting to hear various conversations about ways of managing liabilities, debts, um, that was totally different than what I had been learning by studying sources like the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series through Robert Kiyosaki and Kim, his wife. Um, And, you know, on the other side of it, I was hearing educational philosophies from Dave Ramsey, who is also one of the best known in, in kind of that space, or Susie Orman, you know, some of these more public figures. And it just wasn't matching up, to be honest. I, I just was, I, I, I felt like I was only getting half of the story. And so by 2005, when I'm hearing there might be other better ways of going about doing this, where you're not only focusing on leverage and feeling overwhelmed by debt, which is what I was experiencing through the rich dad concept, right? It was borrow, 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 reinvest under speculated rates of return that uh, exceed the cost of the money you're borrowing. And this is a road to wealth. Okay. That made a lot of logical sense, but once you get over a million dollars worth of debt, you're just sleeping worse. The, the other side, which was Dave Ramsey was talking about never leverage, never borrow, cut up your credit cards. You don't need credit for anything. And I just kind of saw both sides of it. You know, I saw, I'm not going to avoid leverage. Leverage is a key ingredient to wealth creation, right? But I want to treat debt with the respect it deserves, which is that it's a danger. It's, you know, there is no, there is no such thing as good debt and bad debt. I don't believe in good debt. I believe all debt is bad. So the moment I started to look at debt as a necessary evil, everything started to change. And what that did for us was it positioned us differently into that, that, economic downturn, right? And while all these other people who were avid borrowers and just taking every opportunity to take someone else's money and do something with it, um, you know, they started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, short sale and, and foreclosure domino effect was uh, painful. And it opened up a lot more opportunity for the rest of us at that time, because now all of a sudden everything was on sale. Right. So if you are prepared with a lot of availability, a lot of money at your fingertips, then you can dive in and continue to stockpile assets and borrow to get those. But through our through the through the unique skills that we started to learn about and obsess over in 2005 and beyond, we discovered ways where we could take traditional borrowing and accelerate it substantially, where we could take 30 year loans and we could pay these things off in four, five, six, seven years. Yeah, the so, average person that we work with is paying off their home in seven years or less. Yeah, see, that's that's what really piqued my interest when we started talking uh, a little while ago. And um, <clears throat> so it, let, let's walk through like some of those new key insights that, that your company brings to the table that helps people understand how they can rapidly uh, accelerate their debt reduction and, and use some of these other tools to grow their wealth. Okay. So in order to, to, to kind of summarize it clearly and just know that in a podcast like this, it's going to be impossible for us to mathematically uh, demonstrate what you deserve to see. So 
I'm going to steer everybody back to our YouTube channel, which is the source of this information. It's completely free. We've got over 200 trainings on there that you can watch anytime, day or night. And we don't ask anything in return. Yeah, okay? let, me, and that let, me, that let me interrupt you really quick on that because I've seen a lot of your videos and I've also been to a lot of financial education programs or whatever where the price tag is thousands of dollars and you guys are sharing for free the exact same information. So yeah. I, I encourage yeah. our, encourage the listeners to go check that out because it's um, and to not take for granted the fact that it's free. That's a there, there's a you know sometimes it's people, difficult. Yeah, but there is really really solid, good, genuine, uh, fundamental information in there and and advanced information in there as well. That uh, totally is you're giving away for free. Well, I really appreciate that. Exactly, we don't hold anything back. We don't have the opinion that by giving all we know on YouTube, we lose out on business. We believe that by giving everything we know, we earn more in business. So you're gonna get everything on the channel from an educational standpoint, right? And that only goes so far. I mean, even Dave Ramsey himself argues that the educational aspect to the success equation is valued only at somewhere around 20%, 80% is execution. So with that in mind, let's kind of start by reflecting on what we grew up learning. Right. If you look at our age demographic, I don't care whether you're a couple decades older than us or, or at this point, a couple decades younger, which is scary to say. But at the end of the day, all of us at that age, at that age range are managing our own money and we come in highly underprepared. The school systems fail us when it comes to discussions about how to deal with day to day money management. You can go to school for things you know, like accounting degrees, but it's not going to show you how the banks make money and how things function. Um, and so we have to admit to ourselves at some point that we probably don't know enough. We don't know what we should. Now look at it from the bank's point of view, right? Do you think the banks are underprepared? Do you think the banks are undereducated? Of course not. They're out there hiring the smartest people in the world to create algorithms and systems that are designed to do one thing and it's extract more of our money, right? It's no different than the casinos. The difference really is that you have no choice in the game of life. So if, if you're at least able to accept that fact, you can do something about it. Now, if you at least believe that the system is not built in favor of us, the consumers or the borrowers, then we have to start to, to decide, well, where are they really getting us, right? Where are we, where's that gotcha happening? And I think one of the most obvious places to start is if you have a home now that you own, and there's a mortgage on that house, go back to your file with your loan closing paperwork and just pull out a document called the Truth in Lending Statement. And you'll see that even under the best interest rates in history, a, a typical 30-year loan is going to end up costing you very close to what you ended up borrowing in the first place in future interest costs. Mm -hmm. So we look at that and go, man, that is really pretty interesting because my whole life, before getting into the space where I was actually critically thinking about, well, this doesn't seem right and challenging it rebelliously, I, I'm looking at that and going, well, I'm, this is the best interest rate. This is awesome. Four, four and a half percent. Who's going to complain about a 4% interest rate on a 30-year loan? Mm -hmm. The banks have taught me to care about interest rates. The banks, not my parents, not the schools. The banks taught me to care about interest rates. Right. And all along, what I should have been considering were interest costs, mm -hmm. the dollars and the cents. And so here's the takeaway I want everybody to, that's listening to, to think long and hard about and ideally commit to memory. 
uh, a loan, a low interest loan paid off over an extended period of time will cost substantially more money than a high interest rate loan paid off over a short period of time. Mm -hmm. The interest rate is only part of the equation. The, uh, the equal or even more important part of the equation are the terms, the length of time that we are committed to paying. So most people subscribe to these long-term loans and just religiously pay in a very responsible way each month on time or even slightly early. And that, according to the standardized definitions of fiscal responsibility, is exactly what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Borrowing money and paying it off on time. Only afford things that you can afford to pay each month. Only buy things that you can afford to pay each month. And and most people, when it comes to the non-mortgage related items, have been taught, you know, if you can't pay for it with cash, don't buy it, right? So if we're following the traditionally uh, fiscal responsible way of managing money, most of the time we are falling directly into the trap that the banks are setting for us all along the way. Mm -hmm. So what we what we have to do to start with is redefine what we think of as fiscally responsible. I think doing things the way the bank wants you to and doing things the way society has told us we should is fiscally irresponsible. Yes, 100%. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense, especially when you add it all up, right? So yeah. what, is your, what is your philosophy and also your company's approach, i.e. The, the tools that you offer to help combat that? So if you're not going to be paying okay. things over the term of the loan, how do you how do you do that? If I don't have more money, if I'm not making more money, I think this is the common, you know, thought is if I'm not making more money, how can I pay that off any quicker? What are you, right. what are you saying? Number one, you've got to spend less than you earn. So it all starts with cash flow, right? Cash flow. Okay. Yep. If you're not making more than you spend, you have a serious problem. You will eventually be speaking with a bankruptcy attorney. It's just a matter of time unless you die first. That's how the math works. If you are earning more than you spend, then you have ways where you can manipulate the way that your debts are being serviced without going in and looking at ratcheting back on things you love. I think one of the most popular aspects of our personal philosophies is that if you strip away all the semantical how to get there, the real purpose of our YouTube channel, which is under VIP Financial Ed, for those of you who are listening, the, uh, the real conversation here is lifestyle design, mm -hmm. right? The cash flow is a means to that. So what what I've always been in perpetual pursuit of, and I my experience from audience members of mine is that they too want this, is the the freedom to be able to choose what you're doing with your time, right? Whether that's traveling or volunteering or being with family or building a business or investing in real estate, it all takes time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start with the end in mind first, then it's very difficult to create a roadmap to get to that destination. So start with, well, what do I want my lifestyle to look like? And then what we do is we reverse engineer the right and left turns for the financial roadmap to get there. Our services is, is that handholding experience. So what we actually sell is one-on-one -on -one coaching. That coaching is all done via phone, which means that everybody that is approved as a coaching member, um, you know, can be located virtually anywhere geographically. We primarily focus domestically in the United States, but we do have um, some case-by-case -case approvals for international as well. And ultimately, the way that I describe the service itself is, is a collaborative partnership. It's a matter of getting on 
an unrestricted number of phone conversations over an extended period of time. Our coaching relationships now are 30 months in length. So it's very long relationship that we form. And over that period of time, um, we hold on one second. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Somebody was calling in That's okay. um, uh, oh, real quick. So you're saying the, uh, just to be clear, the 30 yeah. month is not a 30 month contract. It's not a 30 month obligation. You're saying it's on average, your clients are with you for 30 months. Is that correct? No, it's a 30 month contract. It is a 30 month contract. Okay. Correct. Now, one thing I have to disclaim about our services, we haven't hired a coach since 2009. We do that deliberately because we prefer to stay small. And this was a lesson that we had to accept coming into 09 after explosive growth. From 2007 to 2009, we grew by almost 2,000%. We went on a hiring spree and brought in 106 coaches. And it wasn't more than four months after that where we were sick and tired of our professions. We enjoyed the reward that came from, from helping people but at, at what expense, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, living out of suitcases and never being able to do all of those other passions that we have that I listed, those are things that we're all passionate about. So we were standing on stages, literally talking about lifestyle design and we were the biggest hypocrites in the room, yeah. right? So that was my first exposure to being able to design a life and then create a roadmap to get to it versus building something that you think you want only to later realize that you were actually heading into an area you really didn't want to be in. Right. And so that's why we chose to remain a boutique business. And at that time we said, we didn't want to grow any bigger than five full-time coaches. We're a very small company in just the last 12 months. Our YouTube channel alone um, has grown from uh, we hit 10,000 subscribers a year ago and we're at 87,000 subscribers now. Wow. So 77,000 subscribers in one year just on that one channel. That doesn't count any of our referrals or our speaking engagements. We can't handle the leads. In fact, people that are scheduling coaching sessions for free because we offer one free coaching session to everybody that has at least $500 in positive cash flow as a jumping off point, that's scheduling out now between six and eight months. So the waiting list is huge. So I'm not here to try and solicit anybody. I want everyone to know that from our standpoint, it's actually a very uniquely special business model that comes from having limited supply. And it's that you almost operate the opposite of a salesperson. You're, you're actually trying to pinpoint the absolute perfect candidates, the people that you know, you're all sharing the exact same wavelength, mm -hmm. right? Somebody that's dedicated and ready, somebody that's committed, consistent, and patient to this process process is going to succeed because the math always works. Mm -hmm. The sum of two and two is always four. And so the, the arithmetic side of this equation is scientifically guaranteed to work. There's absolutely no, no problem with getting to where we want. The problem exists with each of us as humans. And that personality spectrum has proven to be the most interesting learning part of my business for me over the last half dozen years because I'm such a type A guy. I like the math. That's why if you go back into the first 60 videos we have on our channel, it's just mathematical examples after mathematical examples, because I think people think the same way as me. And that's not true. Yeah. A lot of people behave in a very emotional and erratic way when it comes to their money and it clouds their judgment. And so I have to have a very candid conversation with everybody ahead of time saying, look, this is just not a good fit for most people is if every single person followed what we taught on that channel, it would be 
a very healthy thing financially for them. It's no different than eating right and exercise for you nutritiously. Same exact concept. But wouldn't you agree that probably 80, 90% of people that are sold gym memberships probably shouldn't have one? The science works. That's right. The science works. It's just the consistency of the person. If they're not showing up and executing, it's guaranteed not to work, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So we only work with people over 30 months who are pre-approved ahead of time. And a 30-month relationship isn't even a question mark in their minds. Their question more often is, well, what happens after 30 months? Yeah. Can I stay Can I stay with you? So the concept of adapting a team and, and uh, building um, you know, a support structure around you of people that are more experienced and uh, more knowledgeable on certain subjects and that you can delegate with and collaborate with is the only reason that I – have any success today. And so that's one key point I like to try and coach people towards is stop trying to do things alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, to me, that is one of the most valuable um, services that you can provide in the financial space because so many people are just, you know, it's just not their expertise. Um, Uh One of the things I've always appreciated about you and, and the way that you have set up your business is from I guess on one hand, a marketing standpoint, but frankly, and just on the educational side of things, to be able to um, articulate things in just easy to understand concepts, and you've developed some ideas that have always stuck with me. One of which mm. is the concept of a debt weapon. Explain okay. what that is, and then what you have to offer in, in that respect. Okay, so debt weapons is a term that we kind of started using to describe. Um, basically any tool that allows us to leverage our way to more cash flow. That's the number one result of the use of a debt weapon tool. So a debt weapon is really uh, no different than a toolbox to a carpenter. We want to have a whole collection of various types of, uh, of capital um, that allow us to actually have more money left over at the end of the month. So the term cash flow that you see on my shirt, there is a, 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 defined uh, term used for discretionary income. So anything that's left over at the end of the month that doesn't have a job yet, after you've paid for your living expenses, after you've paid for lifestyle choices, after you've serviced minimum payments on your mortgages and non-mortgage related debts, whatever is left over after that, that you're still trying to figure out what to do with is cash flow. And ultimately we wanna have as much of this as we can. The more cash flow we have, the more it directly converts to freedom. So the only reason that I have any freedom to choose what I want to do with my day every day is because I have a significantly larger amount of money left over at the end of each month than my expenses cost me. And the more streams of income that we can add to that, that are residual, that we can count on, creates additional stability with that and minimizes potential risk with volatility that I can't control, right? A lot of folks that are listening to this might be in serious danger when the next economic decline happens, just like so many people were in danger the first time it happened. So being able to stabilize it with cash flow is because of these debt weapon accounts. Now, we've narrowed it down to a total of 16 different groups or categories of these debt weapons. And it uh, includes things that are provided in and out of financial institutions. So sometimes it's the banks, oftentimes it's the banks that are providing us these tools. I'll give you one example of a tool Uh, Just two weeks ago, I was successfully approved for a new unsecured $50,000 
business line of credit known as a BLOCK. An unsecured business line of credit basically means that in spite of a personal guarantee, which is is something I provide for most of these accounts, it's where we sign the line that if the business fails to pay it back, I will personally cover this any balances that are owed on this account if we choose to use the account. Mm -hmm. And in spite of that personal guarantee, that account does not show up on my personal credit report. It's hidden from view. Now, think of the power that I have with just that one account. In fact, that one account is very similar to an account I had about a dozen years ago for $50,000. And we used that account over and over and over again to generate multiple seven figures. That is the power behind these. I can draw, let's say that I wanna buy another investment property, right? Some of your listeners may be interested or curious about real estate, maybe you're already active in real estate. Sometimes the only thing stopping you is a down payment. I can take $50,000 out of that account because it's not showing up on my personal credit report. I can use 100% of the availability on it with no negative impact to my credit. Unlike other types of accounts where if I were to pull that money out, it would show the utilization, which has a 35% impact on my credit scores and it would tank my credit. In this case, I can use all of it, take it and put it in the bank for 60 days and after 60 days, mortgage lenders consider that money to be what they call seasoned, where it's considered mine. They check the last two months worth of bank statements. They see that that money has been in there for two months. I can do with it as I choose. And at that point, I could go out and buy, say, a $200,000 investment property and put $40,000 down, 20%. Or I can put 25% down if I chose to, if I got a better loan for doing so. But let's say I put 20% down and I still have $10,000 left over that I can use for closing costs or fix up costs or vacancy costs. So I can go out and literally buy an asset that not only pays me a net improvement over the cost. I mean, obviously I'm running all the analytics before we're making the purchase and we're only moving forward on something like that if there's still a significant enough net cash flow position where our returns exceed our minimum requirements, right? So I'm not gonna walk away from that transaction with any less than four or $500 per month left over. So not only am I seeing another five or $6,000 a year worth of rental income that I didn't have before, but I'm also seeing the potential appreciation over time as well. So that property can then grow in value. I love the idea of what they call short-term buy and hold real estate, right? Where you're buying properties for say three to five year terms instead of 30 year terms, you're turning around and selling it after the property's gone up 50, 75, $100,000. And you take and parlay that profit into say two rental properties that now double your cash flow position to what you were getting from just the one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's an example of how a debt weapon can be used. Another, uh, one other quick example that I would like to share involves credit cards. Credit cards can often uh, be used as debt weapons. Now, for the most part, we're using credit cards just for our day-to-day -day spending, okay? We're using credit cards for personal and business spending that we're already budgeting for, and we're paying them off in full every single month. However, sometimes opportunities present themselves, and one comes to mind, and this was several years ago, uh, I ran into a gal that I had a, um, you know, kind of a, a I just felt really, really badly for her. She went to her 20 year high school reunion, ended up going out with her high school crush that night. They ended up hooking up. She got pregnant, finds out he's got a family and children oh, and he's never to be seen again. She gives birth as a single mom to a boy she names Matthew. So of course I'm like, well, <laughs> I've got to help this woman now, right? So now 
she, I find out she's got six payday loan balances. Now, we've seen these, you know, in strip malls. These are vultures in the finance world. They had given her six $500 payday loans, a total of $3,000. Get this. She's paying 75 bucks two times a month on each of those with no impact to principal, meaning $150 times six, 900 bucks a month on $3,000 of outstanding principal. And that money is not going, she's not paying anything off. So I'm looking at this like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. But I also was not only able to see an opportunity to help her, I saw an opportunity for us to profit as well. So what we did was we took a, a credit card debt weapon that was a 0% introductory period for over uh, an 18 month span. We paid off the $3,000 on her behalf, obviously worked out a promissory note, collateralized it against her vehicle just to make sure that we had a little extra layer of protection there and made an arrangement with her that she would pay us $500 a month instead for 12 months and on the 13th month would pay a one-time payment of $1,000 as a balloon and it would be done. So in the end, she ends up paying $7,000. We lent her $3,000 under 0%. Now we did pay a 3% balance transfer fee on the $3,000, which was 90 bucks, okay? And then over the course, the, the span of that 13, 13 months, we didn't pay any interest on that tool. The bank gave us the money to basically profit by $4,000 minus 90, right? 39, uh, 39, what, 10? Yeah. So we made almost four grand and all we had to do was seek a, a, a side opportunity there where all we needed was some capital, right? And so these debt weapon accounts provide us the liquidity to go after any opportunity that comes up. And frankly, it's the entire reason that VIP and our business is where it is today, which is a six figure per month organization and it's solely because of debt weapons. It's also a debt-free organization with the exception of just $25,000 that's outstanding, which was used for investment reasons. So that's the whole point here is when you have that kind of ability to keep up-leveling your revenue. And what I try and tell everybody, it's just that it's just a slow process, right? It's just methodical. It's systematic. It's no more systematic and methodical than paying your bills on time the way the banks want you to. The difference is the outcome of what I'm getting means that Mortgages are paid off in five years instead of 30. And I'm able to pay off $400,000 that's used to grow various businesses in a matter of just a few short years versus decades, which is what most people would do under the normal terms. Right. So again, it's just a matter of realizing that it's it takes patience and it's never felt like getting rich quickly. But here we are, you know, with a net after all expenses of seven digits yearly. Right. You know, right. so that's that's really the key. Well, and you hit it you pinpointed it with like, well, what's the alternative? You're, you're doing it anyway, right? So why not do it in, in a way totally. that's uh, way more advantageous to you? So can you give, and I know this, this might be a struggle for you because I know how much you love the math, but can, can you give sort of a broad overview of how somebody can pay off their mortgage in say five, six, seven years as opposed to 30 or just conceptually, how does that work? And you're doing it in a way where you're not needing to make any more money, correct? I mean, you yeah, totally. Okay, so let me just clarify one thing. There are a number of ways to pay off a house much more quickly. The most well-known is the bi-weekly mortgage payment, right? Where you're paying your mortgage, you're paying a half mortgage payment 
every two weeks instead of one mortgage payment once once per month. And if you're paying half payments every other week, say every other Friday, you're essentially making 26 half payments or 13 full payments, right? Because you've got 52 weeks in a year. So every other week would be 26 half payments, which would total 13 full payments because of that one extra payment that's being made you're actually condensing your loan from 30 years down to anywhere between 22 and 24 years, depending on the terms of your loan. That's crazy. That's pretty good. Now, um, all that is is just a consistent, gradual way of making extra principal payments and not really feeling it as much. Mm. It's psychological. You're still paying early. You're paying more than you were asked to pay. That's why it gets paid down quicker. So if I were to ask 100 people, are you aware that if you apply extra money in your payment every month that your loan is paid off sooner, I'm quite certain anyone with half a brain is going to say yes to that question. Just like if I ask a similar rhetorical question, are you aware that if you do that, you'll pay a lot less interest as well? Most people are fully aware of that too. Yeah. Here's what I find interesting. Even people with cash flow don't do that. So if you were to take apples to apples, the difference between say, let's say that you had a couple thousand bucks left over at the end of each month, right? Say $2,000. If you were to take $2,000 each month and apply it towards your principal, you would end up with a comparable outcome to the approach I like the best, okay? It's slightly slower and it's slightly more expensive. We're talking months, not years, and we're talking thousands, not tens of thousands, and certainly not hundreds of thousands of dollars better my way, okay? I don't really care about months and I don't really care about thousands. I'm in pursuit of much bigger fish, so to speak. So I look for things that help me in the, to the tune of tens of thousands and help me to the tune of hundreds of thousands. I'm not wasting my time sitting on the floor, cutting out coupons for five hours, trying to figure out how I can save $100 on 95 tubes of toothpaste. You know what I mean? I think couponers have absolutely no concept of value of time. So understand, focus on the things that matter the most. So what I'm trying to say is whether you're just paying extra money every month or you're doing what I like the best, both are adequate. The problem is people aren't doing anything. Mm -hmm. People are just paying on time the way they're asked to. So the way I prefer is through a process that we call lump sum payments and paycheck parking. Okay. Now think about the banks and go back to that question I asked before, which was you can't honestly believe the banks are, are designing their systems for us. So one thing you should be aware of is that when you put money in your checking and savings accounts and you let it sit there, it's wasted, right? It's working for the banks, but it's not working for you. It's unemployed money. That money is actually uh, allowed to be lent out by through fractional reserve lending by up to nine times what you put in. So if you deposit 10 grand into your bank account, your bank has the right to lend out to other borrowers $90,000, okay? So for every dollar, it's worth $9 worth of lending power to the bank, and they collect interest from all of those borrowers on that 90 grand. And what are you earning, right? We look at our checking and savings accounts, and it's pathetic. Most people, we have this great spreadsheet. I'll give it to everybody here on your podcast. I just want it to be a gift from us to you. It's called cashflowcruncher.com. Just go to the website. You can rip down one of your own. Uh, once you fill out the stuff online, it'll uh, and you push complete and submit, it'll email you a spreadsheet version with all the information that you put in, and that's an editable tool. It's a fabulous tool. I'm here to tell you it doesn't require any sensitive information, so I don't need any account numbers. I don't need social security numbers. Everything you put in there is completely safe, generic information, okay? But 
on that cash flow cruncher spreadsheet in the column that says, you know, what is your earnings on these accounts? Most people leave it blank. That's how pathetic your checking and savings accounts are in terms of what they're doing for you. Right. And the banks know this, right? So instead, what do we do? Well, what if we could get that money working for you? If you had $2,000 left over every month, you're gonna have to find somewhere to put it. And a lot of people will just start stockpiling. I can't even begin to tell you how many people over the years I've spoken with that just have tens of thousands of dollars sitting in their checking and savings accounts. And it's not their fault. We've been taught that we should. Yeah. We've been taught that we need emergency reserves. I say no thanks to emergency reserves. And instead, I'll take that money. And let's say that I either take that $2,000 a month and I apply it towards the principal every month so that you know, uh, the money is paying off my loan, that money will be worth anywhere between two to five times the face value, depending on the interest rate that you have on your mortgage. So if you have, say, uh, you know, a $250,000 mortgage and uh, the interest rate is, say, four and a half or five percent, and you apply a $2,000 amount extra in that month's payment, that $2,000 that you apply could save you anywhere between $2,000 to $10,000 worth of future interest. Mm. So it's a, a guaranteed ROI, and it's guaranteed to be at least 100% return on investment, but it's extended out over a period of time until your house is paid off, right? Mm. So that's why a lot of people are like, oh, well, I, what if I need the money? What if I need the best one? Well, I'm not doing it just because I might need the money, so I'm gonna just put it in the bank instead. Well, what happens if instead I helped you go out and get access to a $50,000 debt weapon like the one I was just discussing with you, and that $50,000 debt weapon uh, now gives me the safety if there's an emergency, right? I'm protected. It's my emergency reserves. When's the last time I needed $50,000 for an emergency? Can't even think of it. Maybe it's happened. I don't remember, but it has not been recently. So my goal is to not need that money. My goal is to not have emergencies, but I have it in case there is one. Yeah. And instead, that $50,000 is... I'm able to use my own cash and my reserves to work for me. I can also take that money and apply a lump sum from the debt weapon to the mortgage. And that's the lump sum payment process where we take uh, a lump sum amount of say $20,000, we apply it towards that $250,000, paying it down from 250 to 230, right? So we have 20 here and 230 here. Same, same total, we don't have more debt than we had before. We're just distributing the debt differently, right? Now, on the amortization schedule, on the $250,000 original balance, we've now leapfrogged all the way down to $230,000, which very reasonably would have taken us six years to get to before, right? But we did it like that in one move. And that easily saved us $20,000, $60,000, $80,000, dollars in future interest costs, depending on the interest rate that you have. Mm -hmm. And now I have this $20,000 I have to pay off over here, right? I'm basically turning the banks against each other. I'm taking from this bank and attacking the loan at this bank. Now, with that $2,000 in cash flow I have every month, instead of just parking it in the bank, I park it against the $20,000 paying off that balance in 10 months. The interest that I pay on the higher interest rate debt weapon is a tiny drop in the bucket to the interest rate I prevented on the low interest rate, long-term 30-year loan, Yeah. okay? This is why it's such a mind F because most people can't wrap their heads around the fact that this high interest rate loan is attacking a low interest rate yeah. loan and saving you ridiculous amounts of interest, I okay? Wish, so this is- 
<laughs> I wish people could see. Uh, at, at some point, I'm going to get these up on YouTube so people can actually see the videos of these. But even if you can't see, I'm sure you can tell just by your voice. Matt, like, this is one of the reasons why I just, like, I think we hit it off right away because you're so freaking passionate about how. Oh, I love this stuff. Yeah, well, dude, I mean, <laughs> that one simple move saves people not only a ton of money in interest costs, but the, like, the time, I mean, obviously I'm just reiterating what you just said, but it, it's such a profound, but such a simple move that when you just get it, it, how do you, how do you not unlearn that? Like it, it's, you it die, change no, it's your so financial true. picture <laughs> dramatically. Uh, it, it, you honestly, once you learn it exists, <laughs> it will eat at you every time you slip and stop doing it. It just eats at you because you know, it's a lot like your health. Again, it's like if you know better and you're living an unhealthy life, it's eating at you in some way, yeah. right? And and hopefully enough so to where you'll actually start to change what you're doing because again, it's all about implementation. It's all about execution. That's why services like ours do so well because if I can take somebody by the hand and help walk them through the decision-making process when they have some of the most important decisions they have to make, like, well, which debt weapon should I be researching? And when should I apply for it? And which ones should I apply for after we have the research? And then how do I put it to work once I have it? And then, you know, make sure I'm doing it safely. Most people live in this space of fear because they just don't have the comprehension and the competence of the system. So they choose not to do anything because without that comprehension and competence, there's no confidence. And this is something I was studying yesterday from one of my my partner's uh, mentors, Brendan Bouchard. You know, he, he talks about how fear works that way, that it's, you know, really that in, that infinity symbol, right? With more competence and knowledge, it automatically feeds that confidence to go out and get more. And it just starts to, the momentum goes like this. Mm -hmm. So most people are just frozen stiff because they're, even if they are speculating there might be a better way, I hear that all the time where people are like, God, I just, I just figured there had to be a better way to do things. Right. You know, it only takes about five years of home ownership before you're looking at these statements and you're like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. My balance has moved like this much and my payment every month is this much, yeah. right? How is that possible? It's because the way simple interest loans work, it appears to be front loaded where you're paying the huge amount of interest. You don't even hit the break even point between principal and interest contributions on each of your payments until the 15 to 20 year point, depending on your interest rate. You, you, uh, until then, it's I, mostly I'm interest. I'm going to expose my ignorance here for a second because I, I was even just right now as you're explaining that, I, I was still thinking that the the way that the amortization schedule is set up is that you're not going to get the right interest principal ratio until you're say 15 anyway. But what you're really saying, a lot is of people think that a lot of people think that a lot of people think that it is front loaded. A lot of people think that it's actually compounded interest and it's not amortization schedules are simple interest loans. You're actually paying interest on the outstanding principal, but because your outstanding principal is at its peak in the beginning of the loan, you're obviously paying the bulk of the interest at that point because the loan size is so much bigger. So as you start to chisel away slowly, slowly, slowly at that principal, the interest is coming down slowly, slowly, slowly as well because you're only paying on the amount that's that's outstanding. So that's why if I apply a 30000 or a 20000 or a $10,000 lump sum amount yeah. from a debt weapon, I'm jumping down the amortization and I'm paying off so that even though my payment is the same, 
there's a higher percentage of it that's going toward interest. Dude, every time I talk well, to you. Principal, I, rather. Principal, rather. Every time interest. I talk to you, I, not only is it like you were saying a second ago, like you, you're kicking yourself every time you slip off it. It's You're kicking yourself every time you look back and you go, why have I not been doing this for the last 10 years? I know. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the problem. That's oh. the problem is, you know, five, six, seven years goes by so fast. Now, so when you're fast. living through it, when you're living through it, it feels painfully slow. And the problem I experience on the front end and, and try to avoid is, is recommending a partnership with anybody that I'm, I don't have confidence in that isn't going to stick with it. And obviously, we've evolved a lot over time. We didn't start off as picky and, and selective as we are now because the growing waiting list has forced that on us. But now it's like, look, if I have a, one property for rent and I have 100 applicants I'm going to be looking for the best, like three people to say, Hey, I'll give it to you. And if two say no, what do I care? I only needed one anyway. Right. So I have a very limited number of seats to fill. And so when I, when, whenever anyone signs up, we've finally given people an opportunity to sign up for coaching on their own. And the very first thing that happens is they jump to the front of the line. So instead of having to wait six or eight months for a free coaching session, their priority and they get treated as a paying coaching member at that point. So somebody could come that, in in one day and be a, a customer. They can just pay. Yeah. They could go to the website right now and pay. And, uh, and basically it would jump them to the front of the line and they would get on my personal calendar. And I do 100% of these calls. We only allow in 365 new members per year, one per day, seven days a week. That's it. Maximum capacity. So the wait, so, the, the wait period is for the, for the free calls. Free, free coaching gotta, sessions. Gotta Correct. Okay. Yep. So once somebody's a, a paid coaching member, they have to go through a formal analysis coaching session where we're basically digging into what success looks like to each of us. How do we get 12 months down the road, 18 months down the road, especially 30 months down the road and be slapping high fives and feel really great about the outcome? That's, uh, that's achievable in my opinion. I'm pursuing 100% achievement on that. Now, I, I realize that, you know, Pursuit of perfection is is always going to leave me leave a lot to be desired. But it, in the end, when we get people that are discussing dissatisfaction, being unhappy, and especially refund requests, it it's a complete shock. Now it's we, we these conversations just don't happen anymore, and it's because of the selection process. So part of that is the candidness, where I'm just calling people out on their crap. It's like, look, if I'm here, capable of benefiting you to the tune of 10,000, 15,000, 20, 30, $40,000 per year, because we make small adjustments to how you're banking and how you're borrowing. That is a guaranteed outcome. If somebody has a starting positive cash flow position of at least $500 per month. So if somebody's coming in and they have at least $500 per month on average, some months might be higher, some months might be lower. I know that through quantifying our previous results with our other coaching members that will never ever fall short of $10,000 per year in impact and influence to their overall bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, we look at that and go, okay, that's a that's good information to have because it allows us to reverse engineer ROI, right? If somebody's paying us, which the going rate for our, our YouTube online audience, which we'll go ahead and bundle you guys into that discount, knocks the price of a $389 per month tuition cost to a $289 tuition cost. And if you look at the ROI on a benchmark minimum of 10,000, we're looking at roughly 3X their money, right? 300% returns as a worst case scenario that we will allow into the program. Now, if somebody's at 10 or 20, 30, 40, $50,000 improvement to their plans because they have say 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 
$10,000 a month in cash flow because our demographic, our ideal demographic is already doing well with money. They are what society calls fiscally responsible. I'm the one that's standing there going, stop being fiscally responsible. And like, you know, like Landmark says, stop being reasonable, man, right? It was all about being unreasonable. We have to be unreasonable about our money because when we reason it, we fall into the trap. Mm -hmm. So now if I'm at a $30,000, $40,000 impact to somebody's plan, I'm literally at 1,000% ROI. So again, that's the good side of the sword. The bad side of the sword is the personality perception of that. On the surface, in our front load, front end conversation, it's, oh, that sounds great. That's awesome. That's exactly what I want. A year down the road, two years down the road, it's boring as hell. <laughs> boring, okay? I have never found this, uh, you know, Eureka experience while gradually banking the right way. I'm underwhelmed. I constantly find myself tapping my fingers on the desk saying, what's taking so long? And you know what? That's how it goes. But to, to your point, the most common response to those people is they fall back into the old way of doing things. Right. They go back to the 30-year plan because they were impatient about the seven-year plan. And I, I just think that the, the, the contradiction in that is just so poetic, yeah. but it's so common yeah. that, again, I think everybody who's listening, going into our education on the channel and just really starting to deep dive and peel back some of the layers and see just how impressive this stuff is – you want to start with that. Start with a, a very rational expectation that even the best case scenarios in this improvement are, are never going to be all that sensational. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Do you have uh, any examples? Uh, give us like a, a story or a testimonial of somebody that you were able to, to take in and just help them achieve their lifestyle dream. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you two examples. I'm going to give you the anomaly example, and then I'm going to give you a slightly more typical example. The anomaly example uh, was a coaching student turned one of my best friends. I'm actually going to be leaving the podcast and, and going and playing volleyball with him here in a couple of hours. Um, you know, we travel the world together. And he, when I first met him, he came to one of my live events. Um, great guy, same age, uh, had two rental properties and one primary residence. We work often in the real estate investment uh, industry and loved what we were talking about, signed up basically immediately. And um, this was back when we weren't evaluating everybody like we do now and turning away most people. And so of course, you know, he came in and we, he would have been a good fit either way. And he was very coachable, very receptive. Over the last eight years, uh, we have purchased uh, just north of 80 properties, single family homes using this process. He did not have money of his own. When he started, it was completely reliant on the debt weapon concept. And then we would go back in, we would do a little bit amount, little bits of repairs and upkeep to the property. And then we would cash out refinance and we real would quick, just wash, rinse and repeat the process. Sorry to interrupt real quick. So when you say we, you're talking about you as a coaching service, not as you a coach, as a personal invested partner with him. That's correct. Right. Yep. Just as a, an influencer to his plan, okay. a mentor, a mentor, and collaborator in the design of how he was doing this, right? So together we're making these decisions. He's not, you know, uh, under any type of dictatorship as a coaching member, we're all we're really there do, doing is collaborating to identify more opportunities than he can alone and reduce and eliminate or avoid mistakes that he would have made by trying to do things alone. So yeah. we're just there as collaborative experience. Got it. So, I, I was, I was just clarifying cause I, you talked about the friendship and I wasn't sure when you said we, you guys were, 
buying properties together on an individual basis. Yeah, no. So, no, I so was not in, an investor in the properties. Got it. So he came in as, as a client, stayed a client the entire time, and went from basically two properties to over 80 properties simply using Correct. debt weapons and the... The, uh, oh yeah, he's a, he's a millionaire. Yeah, he's a millionaire many times over with a a gross rental income of almost 200k a month and a net rental income after expenses, fix-ups, vacancies, mortgage, principal and interest payments, uh, taxes and insurance included. Really, the whole kit and caboodle. He's left with roughly two thirds, 120ish uh, after it's all said and done per month. Um, he, Did he come in? Did I, he- Sorry, did he uh, start, like, what was his, if you don't mind me asking, what was his income starting out at? Was he just a W2 wage earner as a sales associate with a, a, a large utility company out here? Okay. Uh, he was he was doing pretty well in sales. I would push him at roughly the six-figure point when he came in um, and quickly uh, got out of the business and went full-time into real estate. Got it. Got it. So what, what's the typical... Now, that's an anomaly circumstance, yeah. right? Obviously, because not very many people even want 80 houses, much less are they going to get out there and get them if they did. Um, so another, uh, an anom- uh, kind of a more typical uh, situation would be Dan and Megan Albright, which you can easily find their case study on our channel. So that's why I want to highlight this one, because you can go to the VIP Financial Ed YouTube channel and see this math broken out. Essentially, when they first came, and I'm going to try and remember this, they were at roughly $380 per month in leftover cash flow. Okay. Now, this is one of my most popular case studies to showcase when I'm out on the road. People ask for this example all the time. Um, again, we don't we don't accept anybody who has less than $500 in positive cash flow today. So this was before that rule uh, became a thing. $380 was their starting point. Um, they had almost $50,000 in unsecured or non-mortgage related debt. This involved a handful of credit cards and two auto loans. Pretty typical for a household. That's not unusual, especially if you're looking at all debt as the same, whether you have auto loans or student loans, it's all the same thing, okay? Uh, Within just roughly three years, we were able to drive their credit scores from a 680 all the way up into the high 700s, eliminate 100% of their non-mortgage related balances and started attacking the mortgage from there. At that point, we started to eliminate a new loan. This was a brand new mortgage they got towards the tail end of eliminating the $50,000 that they owed. They didn't believe they could even be homeowners. And we get them into a property. We assist in this process of getting, making sure they have the financing in order to do that. And then literally within a six and a half year period of time, they're able to eliminate 100% of their mortgage balances simultaneously to going out and buying a new duplex and a single family. So three additional doors as investment rental properties. So they were really able to comprehensively accomplish most of their objectives. Most of their objectives included, they really wanted to get out from underneath that non-mortgage debt. That was just drowning them. They felt buried in those balances at 50K. Mm -hmm. Uh, The credit scores had been haunting them for years. They just could never really get over that hump of 680 to 700. Uh, Obviously, People fantasize about having their mortgages paid off, but they don't really, I think, believe in it. I think we as a as a country just kind of think oh, we're supposed to have a mortgage. You know, it'd be great if it was paid off, but come on, yeah, right. No, this was something they were like realizing, and then being able to become investors and start to you know diversifying their income streams. That was 
something they really wanted to do. I don't think they really believed they could. And so it was, you know, it was just such a rewarding relationship. Their cash flow position grew to uh, well over $2,000 every single month after their, their uh, three doors, two investment properties, again, one duplex, two doors, and one single family. You know, their cash flow position was, was monstrous. I think they came out to like thirty-five dollars or $3,700 a month. We started with a tenth of that, a tenth, right? So you look at the potential of just doing things the normal way, keeping in the routine you're on, expecting a 3% raise from your job, or, or maybe you grow your business in incremental amounts, but to be able to manipulate the way that the banks are assisting in this process and exploit you into this position of acceleration is, it's almost magical. It's really almost magical. <laughs> right. When you, when you start to live it and it starts to really right. sink in that, oh crap, like this, this is, this is for real. This is not just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and how long did it take them to go from 380 in cash flow to several thousands? So uh, they hit several thousand uh, at roughly the six year ish okay. point. Um, and then it took us, it took, uh, you know, they're still on the tail end of paying off that primary mortgage yeah. because we started in that relationship in 2011, I want to say. So they're just wrapping up because by adding those, those three doors, it's not about paying off debt or investing. That's what I try and make clear to people. They're always like, it's very confusing to try and understand when there's only one dollar, you know, am I investing the dollar or should I pay off debt with the dollar? But yeah. I only have one dollar. Right. So how do you manage to accomplish everything at the same time? And that's what I try to help people accomplish by using these debt weapon accounts. We can bridge the gap. We can still have access to funds when a great investment opportunity appears. But we're not waiting around stockpiling our cash in useless checking and savings accounts until that day. Yeah. We're putting our money to work for us. And then we have that money liquid and ready in debt weapon format so that we can still acquire those assets. And that's what we call cash flow stacking, right? That's where we have assets going up and liabilities going down at the same time. And that margin is growing basically twice as quickly. Mm -hmm because you're focusing on both sides of the balance sheet at the same time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. Um, ah, shoot. I had a question. It slipped my mind. Um, what do you, what do you as an entrepreneur, so slightly different approach to this question, like from a lifestyle standpoint, what are some of the things that you've been able to accomplish that, uh, that, that hit your sort of dream checkbox? You know, for me, it's the same as all of those folks I discussed. I just want freedom. You know, I, I, I have a strong distaste for obligation, <laughs> right? I just don't, I just don't like feeling obligated yeah. at all yeah. to anybody, which is why I dislike de debt so much too, right? Debt is an obligation. I just think that obligation sucks. And I don't look at, you know, lining up months worth of appointments ahead of time as obligation because I have complete geographical mobility. And I think for me, that was the single most important thing. It was a lot less about how do I find a way to sit on a beach and drink booze all day long because I would get bored. I, you know, I go on vacation. I do that. I'm bored after a week, you know, I'm like, God, this, this just gets old. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm too hungry as a creator and as an influencer to ever want to sit around and do nothing. What I don't want is to be 
obligated to be here or obligated to be there. And so for me, I think probably the single greatest accomplishment that I've been able to succeed at is, is allowing myself the ability to design revenue streams where I'm not committed geographically to anything. Uh, I actually have started turning down uh, almost 100% of our speaking engagements, our invitations. In fact, uh, I turned down 100% of them over the last 11 months. And my objective moving forward is to continue to do that. It's very hard for me to say yes to a speaking engagement unless I just simply love the people asking, you know? And something like this is, uh, th- I would do this all day long. I would do this all day long because I, I could I could be in Paris right now. You wouldn't have any idea, Yeah. right? And the same is true with all of our other revenue streams, which is why I even struggle in some ways with real estate investing. I am a real estate investor. I make money on investing in real estate. And yet- Sometimes I don't like it because it's geographically restricting. I have to be certain places. I have to have at least feet on the ground. If they're not mine, they're going to have to be someone else's. And if there's someone else's, I'm paying that person, which yeah. is going to eat into my cash flow. So, you know, I look for streams of revenue that I can uh, achieve complete freedom of mobile, mobility through. And, and so I have that today. I, I am the most free I've ever been in my life for the last two years. Um, I feel like I'm retired. That's great. You look like you are. <laughs> I mean, you just telling you. And I spend eight or ten hours on the phone all day long. I just that's all I do is talk on the phone. I do. I don't do the coaching. Just to be clear, I have a team that does the coaching, of course. But I'll do every one of those upfront initial conversations the moment somebody thinks they're a good fit. Mm-hmm. I will be the one to say yes or no to that relationship. Mm-hmm. And of course, they have the right as well. They can say no too. But by that point, they're hoping they're approved. It's yeah. a lot like. It's ironically like the bank. The bank isn't exactly struggling to find applicants for loans, but the bank has to go through a fairly diligent process to underwrite that application and say, this is a good fit or it's not. We want the partnership to work out. We want to give you the money. We want you to use the money and we want you to repay it on time. That's what the bank wants. And they turn down most people. They don't stay in business if they don't give out loans. And yet they're still turning down a majority percentage of of the uh, business that they that people come to them with the leads. We're, we're very much that same way. And so I, I just spend my time on the phone. Every conversation we have is valuable for, for both sides. I'm not just simply saying, Oh no, no, you're not a good fit. I'm looking for ways to add value to that person in every single conversation. And that's what, that's what drives me. What drives me is being a value to somebody else. I love that so, so much, but I'm not going to drive across town and commute 30 minutes a day to make that happen, right? I'm not going to commute an hour a day. I'm not going to I'm not going to be restrictive and not be able to take a trip this month because I have to do that for somebody here. I'll add value, but I'm going to do it wherever from from wherever I want to be at that time. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, totally. That's a lovely so that's just my own personal my own personal definition of freedom is just geographical mobility. One of the things that you mentioned earlier, which I think is a really key takeaway, is the is the idea, if you will, of quote unquote investing in debt reduction and the idea like we forget that reducing our debt has far more return on that dollar than than i think most of us think of you know such a good point such a good point i have this great coaching member and this is an extension coaching member a coaching member that's actually joined and has been participating on multiple contracts and um they have like $75,000 in the bank. They're real estate investors and she's in pursuit of more real estate now. Um, they've struggled to really 
keep their grasp on control over their money, if you will. So they're not uh, they're not fiscally responsible. They're earning more than they're spending, but it's just a little bit more freestyle, right? They're not really tracking as well as they should. Um, and they have 50,000 some odd dollars in credit card debt. Mm. Now, think about this. The credit card balances that they're allowing to revolve are all above 20%. <laughs> if all they did was take 50 grand from the 75 that they have sitting on the sidelines doing nothing and put it against that debt, it will it will literally free up for them something in the neighborhood of like, uh, let me just make sure I got this, this calculation exactly right. Um, it's gonna free up in their case, just over 1200 per month in minimum payment obligations on those credit card balances of which almost all of it is going towards interest, right? And what I was trying to get through to them because they had this massive lapse in coaching. They coached for two years and then they got re-enrolled just recently under our 30-month coaching. The two-year coaching doesn't exist anymore. We extended it because people need the extra time. They had probably four years in between the, the coaching relationship where they accumulate this balances and they feel like they're out of control again. And I just said, listen, Maria, you, you can pay off this debt and you will literally earn $1,250 or you can go out and chase this real estate property that you think you want and you will literally have to buy two of them to get the same type of cash flow and your net cash on cash return that I said, what would be a good ROI? She said, 15%. I said, what? How is this registering with you? Not only do you then have a 15% return instead of a 20% or more, right? Because some of these cards are like, like 24%, 24 plus percent. Right. But in addition, you've got to manage, you know, uh, you got you to gotta become an adult babysitter for another tenant, right? on two more properties. So now you have two new tenants you have to manage yep. and you've got to manage the maintenance on these properties too. So you've got all the leaky toilets and the termites that you've got to worry about on these two properties too. And so the easiest possible way for you to gain the same exact cash flow or better and get a much even better ROI is just simply park your money against this debt for right now. And immediately you'll see your credit scores go through the roof, at which point we can turn around and get access to another debt weapon, say $50,000 on a home equity line of credit or an unsecured personal line of credit or unsecured business line of credit. And we could pull the money right back out if you want to, and it'll be at 6.99%. You can put the money right back in the bank where you, if you feel like you want money sitting in the bank doing nothing for you, yeah. right? That's fine. You can always go back into debt, but let's, let's make the money work while we can. And so it's a really interesting point that you talk about there because I don't think people understand the guaranteed ROI that comes from attacking debts that have interest rates that you're guaranteed to be paying. The yeah. rates aren't going away. Well, it, it, Every, everything else is speculative, you know? Right. This is, this is uh, to me, why, again, your service is so valuable because of the, the illumination into what you have available, what, what tools you have in your toolkit – and exactly. a little bit of a necessary, when when appropriate, you know, fire in your ass to to uh, to take a look at these things and just follow through on them because the numbers make sense. Um, I think the co the coaching component, especially in the financial side of things, is is easily worth what you're paying for it. Um, I agree. You know what I mean? It's, it's because, because it's in the financial space, it makes it so much easier. You can literally track it to the dollar and make, you know, so anyway, I, right. Um, exactly. Yeah. You've got the apples to apples comparison. I'm not sure what losing 10 pounds is worth. 
right? Exactly. What is that? What's that worth? That's right. different for everybody, right? right? But I do know what ten grand is worth. Right. And it's a matter of then quantifying the the commitment of time. And one thing I've always appreciated about this too is it's for most people not really a, a significant increase um, in terms of demand. It, it it's usually time you already set aside to manage your finances the wrong way, right? So all you're really doing is redirecting time that you should have already been committing to something that works a lot better. Yeah. So. Uh, give me a sec. Sorry about that. Uh, a couple calls coming in. So anyway, that was it. Um, you know, I think it, it was it was really just a matter of being able to understand that. You know, I, I do think that your comment deserves one caveat, which is I believe that unqualified coaches can be equally dangerous as qualified coaches can be productive for you, right? Yep. Can be beneficial for you. So I do think aligning yourself with the right people is a huge piece to the success equation as well. If you're going to be mentored and coached, yep. it can't just be from absolutely anybody. So That's make true. sure you're dealing with people that are reputable. I, you know, I have certain kind of litmus tests for people, for, for service providers, you know, and, and, and really, I just want people that are willing to put their money where their mouths are. We've always stood behind what we sell. If somebody's unhappy and they come and speak with us, we're going to literally do anything we have to do to exceed expectations, even if that means in certain situations, us having given back tuition costs. And at the end of the day, it's up to me to prevent that from happening from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have such direct calls initially, because it's my opinion that I can avoid those conversations about refunds 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Now that by, might be wishful thinking, but our, you know our track record proves it. Uh, over the last three years, it's virtually non-existent. And if somebody is dissatisfied or even thinking they want their money back, it's usually a quick course correction. If anything has happened where a refund has taken place, it's because we've we've fired somebody that just was underperforming. I've had people that after three months they reached out and had uh, kind of that complainer mentality either through email or through phone call where they're kind of griping. We've been known to just say, here's all your money back. Let's part company as friends. We're not interested in another 27 months of somebody blaming anything other than themselves it, because the system and the math will always work. Okay. So uh, we, we're always open to constructive criticism. We're always open to feedback. We're always open to the collaboration experience. Uh, what we're not open to is somebody's, inability to take responsibility for what, where they are circumstantially and w what options they have moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so that I think is, is uh, a very key component to this is, is just knowing that from a business model standpoint, I designed and contributed to designing this business model in a way that I would have wanted it as a consumer. And that's, if I'm going into something, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm at risk. I want to know that somebody's competent enough in what they're going to deliver that if if I'm unhappy, I can have a realistic conversation about it and say, here's what I was told I was going to get and here's what I actually got and help me understand or let's talk about what price point actually is fair. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good way of doing business. I think communication is a good way of doing business. I think longevity is a good way of doing business. I think testimonials and reviews, public image is a good way of identifying who you're doing business with. So, you know, it takes a long time to earn a great reputation and it's extremely proactive to protect 
that good reputation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen by accident. If you're not delivering, we live in an era where people are gonna let it be known. And we have an almost perfect reputation and we're very proud of that, A plus rating with the BBB. Um, so everything that I'm describing for you is what we try and deliver upon as far as how I would recommend people find their great team is well, to make sure that they're looking for that stuff. To be clear, you uh, mentioned a minute ago about um, qualified coaches. Um, you, you guys are not financial planners, right? Or you Correct. don't have the accreditation or the, uh, the license or whatever. You're strict. Not even our specialty. Not even our specialty. Yeah. Yeah. So you are 100%, you know, private organization. So you're training your coaches internally. And Correct. So when a client comes in, you're getting, when, when we say qualified coach, it's qualified by VIP financial ed, which. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and qualified through proper experience as well. Sure. You know, having the track record to show up and have played the game themselves. And so that's another reason that we're proud that we haven't hired coaches since 09, because the, the level of experience from these folks at this point is superstar status. They, these guys can do it in their sleep. They, they, they've seen it all and they're able to quickly react and offer perspectives that are also completely impartial, which I think is such a huge part of building the right financial team yeah. is if you're not if you're not surrounding yourself with some folks that are impartial, then you're only going to be getting biased input, right? Which I, I, I have a hard time asking my mortgage professional whether or not I need a new loan, right? And my real estate agent always seems to think I need to buy another house. And my financial planner always wants to be making various investments. And I, I just have this kind of skepticism inside of me that I think a lot of people do uh, where I'm like, uh I mean, is this for me or is this because you get commission, right. right? And so again, I like the format that we created this because it was designed in a totally unbiased format where the coach is there to look out for you. Um, and I'll give you a perfect example of a gentleman today. We have an opportunity for people who pay twice as much where I'll personally coach them. Okay. This is something we get asked all the time because I'm the face person on the YouTube channel and people are like, oh, well, can, I, can you coach me? Well, the only way we can do that and still find time in my schedule is if somebody is willing to pay twice as much. And I've got this guy that pays twice as much and he emailed me some questions because we're in pursuit of his, his next debt weapon. And he was asking me some questions about it. And I decided to give him a quick call today instead of emailing back. And he kind of changes the subject. He said, hey, while I have you on the phone, I got this opportunity yesterday. I have this $200,000 SBA product, which is a, a debt weapon that was acquired, this $200,000 available line of credit. It's under the Small Business Administration. And he has a friend who's in this, um, uh, it's like an energy conservation business and he's got all these grants and he wants my client, David, to invest $200,000 into his business and he's promising him a 50% return in two years. And listen, it's my job at that point to just simply play the devil's advocate, right? And I started to challenge it. And I said, okay, well, let's think about this, right? I'm not saying your buddy's a bad guy. I'm not saying that he has bad intentions or you're gonna get ripped off or that you won't even get your 50%, but let's just look at worst case scenario and kind of analyze the situation. And by the end of the call, he said, 
okay, great. That we don't need to, you know, I know you're short on time. We, uh, I've made my decision. I said, well, what's your decision? He said, I'm not going to do it. I said, okay, listen, I'm not trying to say don't, I'm just saying you don't have enough information right now to be certain that this is a safe bet for you. It's not, you're getting emotionally enthusiastic about a 50% ROI, which I understand, but uh, your buddy is not coming through. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna follow through on this, I think you can do a lot better. First of all, build yourself in as an owner of the business. You should be getting equity interest in the business too, not just an interest return. Cover yourself, where's the collateral? Are you able to secure against the property? All of these things he hadn't even been thinking about, and yet I can tell that based on his initial response to some of my questions, he got really defensive at first. He's like, well, no, I just have a great sense of things. I have great intuition. He, he's a really great guy. I just believe, first of all, I just believe him. And I said, sure, I mean, he probably believes himself. Things don't unravel and not work out the way people expect because he's not believable or because you, I said, you know, you know how many blackjack hands I've lost uh, when I had a really great intuition? I mean, listen, intuition only gets you so far. So it was very interesting because I could tell he was gonna move forward on this deal yeah. had we not had a conversation. And I don't believe that I've cost this guy a 50% ROI because he could cer certainly turn around and find endless opportunities to make money. Yeah. Um, but he needs to have a lot more information ahead of time. and so. The, the answer to your question is based on experience, it's a matter of having that qualified experience set of eyes sitting there that you can trust also doesn't have their own self-serving results that are going to come from your decision making. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're, you're not selling a financial product. You know, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm just offering them experience input and I have experience in success to back it up as opposed to you know, your uncle, who's also looking out for you, but he's trying to give you relationship advice. And, you know, he's, he's been through three wives, right? right? That's not the guy I'm going to listen to. Right. So it's just a matter of having somebody that's, that's able to prove that they've been down the road that you admire and, and feel you could emulate certain, um, certain action from in order to get similar results. Do your coaches, uh, have the same level of expertise or do you have tiered coaching to where, your newer coaches, coaches are at a certain price point or anything like that? Or can no, you tell any I mean, at, at this point, like you know, that. when you're nine years deep as your, as your rookiest rookie, you know, oh. at this point, they're all, they're all what I would consider to be at, on an equal playing field. Okay. It, I think it just boils down then to just personality chemistry. Yep. You know, people will jive better with some people and not others. But what's interesting about that, that I'll encourage people to keep in mind too, some of my favorite teachers in school were the teachers I didn't like much at all in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And some of my least favorite teachers in school were the teachers I thought I liked the most in the beginning of school. And over time, I just grew, I just realized that it wasn't somebody I was connecting with very well. So I, I encourage people to try and, and um, get through first impressions uh, if they don't feel an immediate connection, because we're not here trying to support you in a new friendship. We're here trying to support people in progress. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that some of the most famous relationships between athletes and their coaches were probably somewhat conflicted, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, there, and there are a lot of those on record where they didn't necessarily get along. Who cares? You're not, it doesn't matter whether or not you get along with your coach. Are you getting the results you need 
that's what you're paying for. Yeah. So, you know, earlier when I was asking you if you guys had uh, accreditation or license or whatever, like I, I want to be clear to the to the listeners that you know I think you guys and the reputation and the unique expertise that you've developed over the last decade is more valuable than somebody who can right. go out and quickly get a broker's license or this or that. My personal, this is anecdotal, but my personal experience in using quote-unquote professionals who have licenses in whatever field, mortgage or real estate or whatever, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've gotten a license in those things before, and it's, mm -hmm. it's a sham. Uh, the one that mm -hmm. I went through was, I, I literally had my, my, the teacher say, she held up a blue marker, and she says, what am I holding? And we're all like, a blue marker. And she goes, nope. If I tell you this is a red marker, it's a red marker. And her whole point was, when I'm teaching you something, even though common sense and logic says for you to do this, for you to pass this test and get your exam, you need to do what I tell you. And I'm like, like what's the whole point of this freaking license if it's not actually providing fiduciary responsibility for yeah, that's terrifying. average person. It's horrible. That's so, terrifying. Anyway, I say that with respect to what you've built, not as a, well, you guys don't have the right you know, license or whatever. I think actually what you've actually created and in, in the time and, and the energy that you've put into training this team and then not having anybody leave for that long, to me, speaks more volume to the, to the value and credibility that you've established. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks a lot. And, and we're I, also I say that real quick. Also, I say that as somebody who's used your service before and has gotten that type of coaching and, you know, customization into my own personal finances and what works for me and which debt weapon to use. So it's it, it I've gotten way more attention from you guys and quality information than, you know, your your standard uh, multi-billion dollar licensed broker, you know what I mean? Wow, that's that's so humbling. I really appreciate that feedback. Thank you, Peter. And and yeah, we 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 are honored for that. And I'm not trying to sidestep, you know, the value they provide and the need for those professionals because we are not all things financial to our coaching members. We don't provide them their mortgages. We don't provide them uh, investment advice. We're we're not their CPAs or their attorneys. All of a sudden, we have a very narrowly focused niche specialty. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I think it just boils down to us being the podiatrist of your money. That's what it is. We're that. And if you need back surgery because you didn't take care of your feet the right way, I'm not now your back surgeon, right? Yeah. I'm still your podiatrist. At the end of the day, we have our focus. It's a focus that I think has been needed in this country far too long. I can't even believe that I consider myself to be one of, if not the leading pioneer in this industry, I think that's pathetic. I think that this industry needed to be created a long time ago. The fact that we rely on real estate agents to buy our houses and mortgage professionals for our loans just shows me that this is also a, a key element that's been avoided and has been needed. Mm -hmm. People are not great with money. They're just not. Mm -hmm. People struggle with money. And because of that lack of education throughout life, um, support is unequivocally going to be exponentially more valuable than the actual cost you're paying for the support. Mm -hmm. And so that that you're exactly right. I think we serve our role. 
doesn't require licenses because I'm not saying go invest over there or go invest over there and I'm making money on all these recommendations I'm telling you. Uh, even as a fiduciary, I think that it's it's tough to know for sure. I would say, though, that um, you know those people do serve a good role. And when somebody is considering making an important investment decision, we as their coach can serve as an extra set of eyes to at least offer input, right? Again, this guy's considering making a $200,000 investment. All I'm there to do is hear that information, ask the questions, get as much detail as I can, and then offer him my perspective. And my perspective, as well as the perspective from our coaches, will often be that of a devil's advocate, right? Let's consider the downside. Let's talk about what bursting your bubble might mean. What does that look like? Because had I just had proper mentors and coaches ahead of my biggest mistakes, I wouldn't have made them. I I made them because of my irrational, emotional decision-making journey. And I think most decisions that are made emotionally are irrational. I don't think that rational decision-making and emotional decision-making are the same thing. I yeah. think it's different. I, and we, so I like having both sides. I'm not saying emotional is wrong. It, it can be wonderful, but it can also be the cause of big mistakes. And that's what it's been for me. So I try and remove myself as much as possible and make as few decisions in life as I can. Especially I leave financial. it up to my team. Right. Especially when <laughs> right. it comes to financial decisions, right? Exactly. Uh, we could probably do a whole other podcast on irrational, emotional, financial poor decisions. Oh, that would be very interesting. Yeah, you've probably done a lot of research on that now that I think about it. Well, I've done, I've done some personal research in some of that where I've Mm, where I've, mm, where I've, mm -hmm. Yeah, little tip: don't buy uh, show jumping horses. Just I'll leave that out there. I, <laughs> that's a, like I said. Wow! Yeah. No kidding. Oh, that impressive. was uh, I didn't realize what, what I, I can't wait to hear that story. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's all I got out of it. So it was you, a great story. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even get a horse. <laughs> I didn't even get a horse. That was the whole thing. It was. Uh, you know, <laughs> I did get a bridle. Oh my god! I have a little bridle. I call it my. You know what is it? Eighty-five thousand dollar bridle. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have that frame? Uh, no, I actually it's it's in a box right now. But I yeah, I need to get that up and and just so I can look at that every day and go, don't be an idiot. <laughs> get some coaching. <laughs> well, you listen. I I'm a huge fan of failure as well, and uh, it's not easy. And we often look back and go, man, you know, how how uh, I I should have and how I could have avoided that, but. Um, but failure has always turned into, you know, lessons that have paid off. Very true for me. It's and much so more expensive. I don't like to not I don't like when people action. fear failure. Taking an action is the only failure that I think is is the appropriate definition yeah. of the word. Yeah. In action. Well, brother, I appreciate it. This has been uh, again highly inspirational and uh, educational as well for the listeners. You can check out Matt and his company, VIP Financial Ed, on YouTube. is the best place to, uh, to, to get some more knowledge about them. Um, if somebody did want to sign up or at least start to go down that path, where would they go for that? Yeah, so you can go to freecoachingcalendar.com, and there is a calendar there where you can reserve your one complimentary coaching session. That's just a gift from us to you. We do it as a courtesy. Uh, it is a non-solicitous conversation. You do have to have at least $500 worth of positive cash flow before you're eligible for that. If somebody is interested in actually supercharging their plan, they understand the benefit of having coaches and are ready to just simply enroll, 
there is a quick start option in the dropdown list on that calendar for quick start enrollment. And they can actually just self-guide themselves through signing up, at which point they'll be put on my calendar and we'll go through the formal analysis where we do a full-blown review session and say yay or nay. And that's on either side. It does not formally commit anybody whereby if we say yes, they're locked in. If we say yes and they say no, we just unwind it, refund the tuition, and part company as friends. Gotcha. We're, and we're the, not interested in teaming up if it's not a perfect fit. And at the very least, the cashflowcruncher.com? Yep. Right. And that'll take you to an online version of the cash flow cruncher. Again, you're completely secure in there. No personal information necessary. Inside that cash flow cruncher, you'll see on the left menu a button that says complete and submit. Once you once you press complete submit, it'll send you an Excel version, Excel spreadsheet version. I personally prefer the Excel spreadsheet version. It's so much quicker to navigate if you're clicking through various tabs instead of having to wait for the web to load each tab, yeah. it, it's just bouncing around. So you can get through it really, really fast. So I like the speed of the Excel version. Yeah, very good. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Matt, appreciate it again. And uh, yeah, we Always, will, uh, Peter. Well, let's not, let's not wait so long next time. to. <laughs> yeah, man, no <laughs> doubt. Are you going to be coming to Colorado anytime soon? Uh, I know? should be. I've got a brother and sister out there, so we should definitely okay. connect. Yeah, ping me. Will do. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Right, Thanks brother, so much to you and your audience. Yep, we'll do. All right, Take care. Here. Take care. Bye-bye.